Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the NFI 2021 First Quarter Financial Results Call. My name is Hilda and I will be your operator for today. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode and later we will conduct a question and answer session. During the question and answer session, if you have a question, please press star and then one using your touchstone phone. And now I would like to turn the call over to Mr. Stephen King, Group Director, Treasury, Corporate Development, and investor relations. Mr. King, you may begin. Thank you, Hilda. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to NFI's first quarter 2021 results conference call. This is Stephen King speaking. Joining me today are Paul Subri, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Papasu Sony, Chief Financial Officer. For your information, this call is being recorded and a replay will be made available shortly. On this morning's call, we will be walking through a results presentation that can be found in the investor section of our website. We will, we will be moving the slides via the webcast link, but we will also call out the slide number referred to as we walk through the deck for participants on the phone. Starting with slide two, I will remind all participants and others that certain information provided on today's call may be forward-looking and based on assumptions and anticipated results that are subject to uncertainty. Should any one or more of these uncertainties materialize, or should the underlying assumptions prove incorrect, actual results may vary significantly from those expected. You are advised to review the risk factors found in NFI's press releases and other public filings on CDAR for more details. We also want to remind listeners that NFI's financial statements are presented in U.S. dollars, the company's functional currency, and all amounts referred to are in U.S. dollars unless otherwise noted. On slide three, we have included some key terms and definitions to refer you to as you review the information contained within the rest of this presentation. Of note, zero emission buses, or ZEBs as we refer to them, consist of trolley electric, hydrogen fuel cell electric, and battery electric buses. Equivalent units, or EUs, is a term we utilize for both production and deliveries. The majority of our vehicles represent one equivalent unit, while an articulated 60-foot transit bus takes two production slots and therefore is equal to two equivalent units. I'll now pass it over to Paul, who will recap the quarter. Thanks, Stephen, and good morning, everyone. Before I get into the details of the quarter, for those not as familiar with NFI, I'll quickly provide a little bit of background on our business, specifically our leadership position, zero emission, battery electric, fuel cell electric mobility, and how we are driving the transition to a cleaner electric future, or what we call the Zevolution. I'm now on slide four. NFI is a total mobility solutions provider offering full turnkey solutions of our infrastructure installations, vehicle production, aftermarket support, training, and telematics. We have the strongest zero emission bus offering in all of our core markets with the widest range of battery electric mass transit vehicles ranging from single deck to double deck, articulated, medium duty, and motor coaches. Our combined businesses has over 450 years of bus and coach experience, and we've been making electric buses for more than 50 years now. Our track record shows that we have been innovators and drivers of new technology for decades. 
We led the adoption of clean diesel, natural gas, hybrid electric buses in North America, all of which still we may still make today. And we are now leading the transition to battery and fuel cell electric vehicles. Zero emission buses represents about 10% of our first quarter deliveries, and our backlog is now at 18% being zero emission. NFI has the capacity to produce up to 8,000 equivalent units annually, and we anticipate that 20 to 25% of our 2021 production will be zero emission buses, more than doubling the 2020 ZEB production. On April 22nd, to celebrate Earth Day, we achieved a major electric vehicle milestone, including the completion of over 40 million service miles by our battery and fuel cell electric vehicles and the installation of over 200 electric chargers. Through this mileage milestone, NFI EVs have prevented nearly 112,000 imperial tons of greenhouse gas emissions from the, in, entering the environment, the equivalent of removing 23,000 cars from the roads of Canada, the United States, the UK, and New Zealand for one year. Turning now to slide five, I'll quickly touch on some of the other highlights from the quarter. While we continued to feel the impact of COVID-19 pandemic, we did see numerous encouraging signs of market recovery with growth in our active procurements and in our backlog. We also saw unprecedented government funding announcements in the quarter. The combination of recovery from COVID-19 and a strong funding environment will propel NFI's profitable growth as we support agencies and operators who are building back better from the pandemic. Our company-wide trans transformative initiative NFI Forward continues to meet our targets. NFI Forward is designed to make us a simpler, leaner company with fewer business units and a reduced footprint. Q1 2021 results included 11.6 million in adjusted EBITDA savings and an additional 750,000 in annualized free cash flow generation from NFI Forward. During the quarter, NFI Forward executed the combination of Alexander Dennis's North American parts business into NFI Parts Network eliminating redundant inventories, part stocking locations, and additional facility investments. As part of our focus on deleveraging and strengthening our balance sheet, on March 1st, we completed a $250 million Canadian dollar bought deal equity offering. The proceeds raised were immediately used for debt repayment, and the liquidity and flexibility gained from the equity offering allows us now to pursue operational strategic goals, such as investments in our zero-emission products and electric propulsion technology, investments that are NFI forward and other potential growth opportunities. Environmental, social governance matters are critical to NFI's operations and they drive our decision making. As mentioned, we continue to see our products deliver emission reductions around the world and drive socioeconomic change, while internally we have placed increased focus on diversity and inclusion in our leadership and our workforce. We joined the 50-30 challenge and through continued advancement of our community benefits framework agreements, we, see our, we are seeing great progress. The quarter has also saw us issue our human rights statement and deliver our management information circular, which will be voted on today at our annual general meeting. We reaffirm our full year 2021 guidance for revenue of 2.8 billion to 2.9 billion US and adjusted EBITDA of 220 to 240 million US. Turning now to slide six, our backlog was up by 82 equivalent units in the quarter, showing signs that the market is now recovering from the pandemic. This was the first increase in the backlog following five consecutive quarters of decline. Based on activity we've seen so far and discussions with our customers around the world, we anticipate that we'll see increased order activity in 2021 as previously delayed orders are released 
and the benefits of government funding announcements start to hit the market. A major accomplishment subsequent to the quarter end was the execution of 198 option award, uh, option EUs from BVG, the main transit agency in Berlin, Germany. The contract is Alexander Dennis's first major entry into continental Europe and pre presents an excellent growth opportunity for NFI. Faced with a difficult comparative 2020 Q1, deliveries were down with all three of our production segments. This was a result of the first quarter of 2020 having nearly three months of pre-COVID-19 activity. We continue to run at lower production rates during Q1 2020 as order delays no, uh, clearly had impacted our operations. I'll now ask Papasu Sony to take us through the detailed financial statements for NFI. Thank you, Paul. Uh, turning to slide seven, I'll touch on a few Q1 2021 performance factors and comparisons to 2020 Q1. Total revenues declined by 19%, driven by the lower deliveries from the impacts of the pandemic that Paul discussed. I will note that our aftermarket revenues were essentially flat, a testament to the resiliency and global reach of our parts business. We saw declines in North American public and private operations offset by increased Asia-Pacific revenues, which were up 316% overall in the quarter. This improvement in Asia-Pacific is a good sign for broader market recovery given Asia-Pacific markets were impacted earliest by the pandemic in 2020. In addition, the aftermarket business saw strong purchases of our clean and protect product lines, which help our customers provide a safer transportation experience through increased focus on sanitization, cleaning, and air purification. Adjusted EBITDA saw a slight year-over-year -year decline of 2% as we were able to offset lower deliveries through our focus on the NFI Forward Initiative to significantly decrease materials, overhead, and general and administrative expenses by $11.6 million. We also saw the benefit of government grants from the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy and UK furlough programs to retain skilled people. Free cash flow was up 1.3 million or 2% as we had a lower current taxes, realized cash flow benefits from NFI Forward, and positive proceeds from the disposition of capital assets. Liquidity at the end of the quarter was at 319 million, an increase of 172 million from the same period in 2020, and 86 million from year-end 2020. This increase in liquidity was mostly driven by our recent uh, equity raise. In addition to putting capital to use on strategic investments, we remain focused on returning capital to shareholders through continued dividends. Turning to slide eight, we saw significant improvement in net earnings and adjusted net earnings year over year, primarily from the benefits of NFI forward savings and the impact of government people retention programs. Normalizations to adjusted net earnings included 1.2 million in one-time non-recurring restructuring charges and COVID-19 related costs, plus a 1.1 million unrealized foreign exchange loss and a 3.5 million unrealized gain on our interest rate swaps. Turning to slide nine, we provide an update on NFI Forward and the expected future benefits. The anticipated cost savings from NFI Forward will impact both direct and SG&A cost. In aggregate, NFI Forward is targeted to deliver an eight to 10% reduction to both manufacturing overhead and SG&A based on the 2019 run rate. Since inception in 2020, NFI Forward has generated 28.6 million in adjusted EBITDA savings and an additional 1.75 million in free cash flow savings. 
Note that the additional free cash flow benefits are on top of the expected cash flow that will be generated from the adjusted EBITDA savings. We remain on target with our original plans and anticipate that we'll reach a run rate of at least $67 million in annual adjusted EBITDA savings by 2023, plus an additional $10 million in annual free cash flow savings. These cost reductions will generate significant leverage as markets recover will grow revenues on a lower fixed cost base with drop through to adjusted EBITDA. On slide 10, we provide a summary of our 2021 guidance, which we have reaffirmed for revenue, adjusted EBITDA, and cash capital expenditures. Today, we're providing an update on our adjusted effective tax rate. I also wanted to add a comment on seasonality. We anticipate year-over-year revenue and adjusted EBITDA growth in the second and fourth quarter, while the third quarter will be flat to slightly down. A reminder for listeners that in 2021, Q2 and Q3 will be a 13-week period, while Q4 will be a 14-week period, for a total fiscal year of 53 weeks. Turning to slide 11, I'll explain some of the dynamics we're seeing with our tax exposure as our financial results recover from the pandemic. Our North American tax structure includes minimum tax components that are more fixed in nature, plus variable components based on profitability and the impact of non-recurring discrete or one-time items. We normalize for the non-recurring discrete or one-time items to calculate our annual adjusted effective tax rate. The current tax structure does cause us to have fixed components in both BEAT and FTC related taxes. BEAT, which is the U.S.-based erosion and anti-abuse tax, and FTC generate significant impacts to our current to our tax rate based on our pre-tax earnings versus other Canadian companies. We are investigating options to exit this structure. Based on our 2021 guidance, management expects NFI's annual minimum fixed tax expense will be between 18 to 22 million, while its variable taxes will be based on a range of 21 to 23 percent of adjusted pre-tax earnings. These ranges are based on current tax legislation and they do not contemplate the impact of potential future tax changes being considered by governments in the UK, the US, and Canada. Finally, I'll comment that NFI is not immune from the impact COVID-19 is having on global supply chains. Delays in supplier production, global shipping and freight challenges, and supply and demand imbalances for many parts and components, including a worldwide shortfall of semiconductor chips, have all created supply chain challenges. NFI does not source semiconductors directly, rather our chip requirements is for parts and components that we acquire from suppliers. Bus and coach demand is much lower than automotive and truck OEMs, and as a result, the shortfalls have, had, have not had a material impact on our production, but a lack of consistent supply in parts and components could cause adverse impacts to NFI's remaining 2021 production schedule and part sales. I'll now turn the call back over to Paul to discuss the factors driving our 2021 guidance and longer-term outlook. Thanks, Mathasu. <clears throat> Excuse me. Turning to slide 12, the first quarter of 2020 was a period. 2021, sorry, was a period that launched unprecedented government support for public transit in Canada, in the U.S., and the United Kingdom. In Canada, the government launched the largest public transit investment program in Canadian history that will see 14.9 billion invested in public transit with $2.75 billion dedicated for zero-emission procurements. The program includes $5.9 billion in dedicated pro- project starts in 2021 and ongoing permanent funding of $3 billion per year beginning in 26, 2026 and 2027. We're very excited about the development as based on our U.S. experience, permanent and predictable public transit funding 
gives transit agencies much better visibility so that they can plan current and, and future multi-year procurements. In the United States, the proposed 2.3 trillion American jobs plan includes an eight-year program with $85 billion for public transit, $174 billion to win the EV market, and a commitment to replace 50,000 diesel transit vehicles with electric vehicles. The U.S. government continues to work on a five-year Invest in America Act, which is the proposed replacement for the current FAST Act, the, the federal act by which transit vehicles are funded in the United States. The U.S. government's corona, uh, Coronavirus Economic Relief Transportation Services, or CERTS program, was created to support transportation service providers affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. For the first time, this program now includes up to $2 billion in grants for motor coach operators. This is an important stimulus for many of our private motor coach customers who saw significant declines in revenue from the pandemic and who are now starting to resume operations as travel, sporting activities, and conventions return. In the UK, the government continues to unveil details of its national bus strategy, and we will see more than 4,000 zero-emission vehicles put into service in the future. During the quarter, the Scottish government launched an ultra-low-emission bus scheme, or SULEBS, that provides funding for the purchase of electric vehicles. ADL has already received orders for 172 electric buses from operators using this program. In addition to these major funding announcements, on Earth Day 2021, each of Canada, the US and the UK announced new major greenhouse gas emission reduction targets for 2030 and 2035. The combination of reduction targets and strong stable funding bodes well for NFI's near and long-term success as we leverage our leadership position in core markets and our growing operations in Europe, Asia Pacific to drive profitable growth and free cash flow generation. Although the proposed legislation announcements are encouraging for the future of public transit, we do not yet have all the details of when the proposals and funds will materialize and the expected timing and impact on orders and financial performance. NFI will continue to monitor and provide updates as appropriate through its quarterly and regular disclosures. On slide 13, uh, we provide an update on the North American bid universe. As mentioned earlier, an encouraging sign is the 14% improvement in first quarter active bids as compared to the fourth quarter of 2020. A reminder that active bids are procurements where we have submitted a, a proposal and that are already, or are already in progress or submitting a proposal uh, that has been released, meaning they have most significant near-term impact on uh, awards and operations. The forecasted five-year North American industry procurement developed through detailed discussions with transit agency was down slightly, about 8% from the quarter of 2020. This decrease is primarily a result of the increase in active bids combined with the transit agencies revisiting their capital plans as they evaluate the impact of COVID-19 and they look to the new government funding announcements and adapt that to their zero emission vehicle strategies. As customers evaluate their electric vehicle transition plans, some of those procurements for traditional propulsion have slowed in the interim. We anticipate that the forecasted five-year industry procurement will increase in 2021 as transit agencies and operators learn more about and are able to access the multi-billion dollar government funding programs. As of 2021, at the end of 2021 Q1, 6,424 units, or 27.5% of our total bid universe, is zero emission, highlighting the ongoing evolution to zero emission buses and coaches. I'll also note that in addition to the traditional request for proposals, 
and the procurements, we continue to see an increased usage of purchasing schedules, which include state and national contracts and a cooperative agency purchasing agreements. These schedules allow multiple operators within a prescribed region or defined list to purchase buses, typically, typically in an expedited basis. NFI is currently named on over 20 of these purchasing schedules, either directly or through our ARBOC dealers. We've received more than 600 vehicle awards from these schedules since 2018, which highlights their growing use by North American transit agencies as an important procurement tool. Please note that these schedules are not recorded in backlog, as they do not have defined quantities for NFI or any other OEM. Once a customer makes a purchase uh, under one of these agreements, the purchase of the units is immediately recorded as a firm order. Turning to slide 14, NFI's traje projected trajectory over the coming years uh, through 2025 targets is shown. We are well positioned for the near and long term with expectations for growth, be, uh, getting to 3.9 to 4.1 billion in revenue and 400 to 450 million in adjusted EBITDA by 2025. Our performance will be driven by first, our focus on bus and motor coaches. We've strong public and private customer base with long-standing relationships. In addition, we will continue to grow new markets through Alexander Dennis and Arbuck. Second, we have one of the largest aftermarket bus and coach parts businesses in the world, supporting our 105,000 vehicles in service and delivering recurrent revenue parts stream. This segment of the business will help underpin our 2025 targets. Third, we have the largest zero emission bus capacity in North America and the UK, with proven track record in delivering electric vehicles, and we will lead the market's transition to a zero emission future with expectations that 35 to 40% of our 2025 production will be higher priced and higher margin zero emission buses, more than tripling what we had in 2021, 2020. Sorry. Fourth, NFI Forward has and will create volume leverage as we deliver, uh, deliver high revenue on a lower fixed cost base. This is evidenced by our targets, including an expected revenue CAGR of more than 8%, with our adjusted EBITDA CAGR targeted at more than 16%. And finally, we will continue to invest in our business and return capital to shareholders. We are pleased with our 2021 Q1 and confident in our business recovery plan and our market outlook. I'll now turn it back to Stephen to summarize today's discussion, and then that, following that, we'll open it up for analyst questions. Thanks, Paul. Turning now to slide 15, I'll recap this morning's call. Q1 2021 was a solid quarter with signs of significant improvement in active procurement and we have the view that the market is on the path to recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. We continue to see unprecedented government support for transit. This will help drive order activity and growth with a strong focus on a reduction emissions. It's not a matter of if the future is electric, it is a matter of when. NFI is ready today for the transportation of tomorrow. Although we anticipate 2021 deliveries will remain lower than pre-COVID-19 levels, we are positioned for market recovery and have already seen strong improvements from NFI forward to drive volume leverage. Following the first quarter equity raise, we have a much stronger balance sheet. Combined with our cash flow generation, we now have the flexibility to evaluate strategic investments to grow our zero emission battery electric and hydrogen fuel cell businesses. We continue to innovate and disrupt ourselves and the market, and we are excited about the future of NFI. We've had numerous new product launches this quarter, including new battery and fuel cell electric models, North America's first level four automated transit bus, and clean and protect parts products and solutions to keep riders safe. 
We are leading this evolution to a zero emission future with strong 2021 guidance and 2025 targets that would see us drive top line growth and even better margin performance. Before opening the call to analyst questions, we wanted to recognize our very own Jennifer McNeil, Vice President of Public Sector Sales and Marketing for New Flyer and MCI. Jennifer was named one of 26 climate champions across Canada. She was recognized alongside others during a virtual ceremony marking six months to COP, the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference of the Parties, and highlighting global efforts to tackle climate change. Jennifer has illustrated ingenuity in leading our industry-leading zero-emission future, and she has been driving a, a driving force behind NFI's technology roadmap and strategic growth. Congratulations, Jennifer. We'll now open the call for Q&A. Hilda, please provide instructions to our callers. Thank you. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star and then 1 using your touchtone phone. If you wish to be removed from the question queue, please press the pound sign or the hash key. And if you are using a speakerphone, you may need to pick up the handset first before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press star and then 1 using your touchtone phone. We have a question from Chris Murray from ATB Capital Markets. Thanks, folks. Um, good morning, and, and congratulations on the decent quarter. Um, I guess the first question I've got is, is more going back to you know, your comment about the fact that you're starting to see order activity pick up, um, and you noted the backlog. It actually um, you had, a, you had some increase in the backlog. Can you talk a little bit um, about uh, expectations for order intake um, over the next couple quarters? And is there anything um, that you're seeing in that order intake that could actually drive you above your guidance for 2021? Hi, Chris. Good question. Thanks uh, for that. So, you know, we, we in every one of our business, it, it, you know, the order intake, the number of sold slots, the length of the contract, the number of units per contract continues to evolve and change. And we know that the number of units per contract in 2021 is less than it was in 2019 or 2015 for that matter. So that phenomenon continues to happen. Um, as we work through the year, for the most part, we work to almost somewhere between 20 and 30 week kind of pre-production schedules, meaning we, need, we get an order, we go through the, the confirmed uh, design and specification of the vehicle with the customer, and then we do the non-recurrent engineering and the supply chain building, uh, sourcing and building so that we can build the bus on time. So the ability to exceed our performance and our guidance for this year is probably less than our ability uh, just given that time frame, our, our ability to manage that, that complexity. The other dynamic that Papasu talked about today is like every other OEM in the world, we're all dealing with dynamics of uh, you know, chips and, and the impact it has on our supply chain. We're still in the middle of a pandemic as much as we, we're seeing some areas of positive signs. We still have plants and suppliers that have been shut down as a result of COVID and then that start back up and so forth. So you know, we, we reiterated our guidance of 220 to 240 on EBITDA. We know our schedules. We know where we have sold slots and where we have a little bit of uncertainty across all of our facilities. Um, having said that, the, the actual the number of, of discrete RFPs that are hitting the street is up. That's positive, which has translated into that increase in, in the bid universe and, and, of course, now starting to see the recovery of the backlog, which is a really positive sign because as we hit COVID, it really just started to burn down and, and everybody kind of had pens down. 
So I, I would think by the time we get to the, you know, the, the end of the second quarter into the third quarter, we'll have really good visibility of all the production slots for the rest of this year. Uh, and again, uh, hoping at that point in time, we'll, you know, confident we'll be able to reiterate our guidance at that point. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then just, just kind of moving on, uh, you know, another quick question for you. I think I was a bit <clears throat> surprised at the, uh, frankly, the strength of, um, of, of the shipments in motor coaches. Um, you know, it was probably, we, were, we were expecting, you know, basically de minimis, maybe public market. Um, is there any signs that um, with the U.S. appearing to be getting better, um, that that's going to be changing? Or was, was Q1 more of a, just a flushing of existing inventory? Um, just any color there would be helpful. Well, you know, you've watched that market for a long time, and as of all of our markets, it's the one that not only slowed down as a result of the pandemic, it stopped, which then led us, uh, you'll remember last year, to a decision to relieve ourselves, if you will, or liquidate the entire pre-owned coach pool, which continues, from our perspective, to absolutely be the right decision at the, at the right time. It, surprisingly, uh, and, and again, we're seeing it in, in opening up of some of America, the, the United Motor Coach Association, which has an annual conference that was canceled last year, they actually proceeded with their in-person conference about 10 days ago or two weeks ago or so forth. The attendance was reasonable, you know, given that it was in person. The discussion and temperament and interest of the operators who are now starting to move again and starting to, to pull, out is, is, or pull out in terms of their, their vehicles is positive. Um, we did sell some of the units. We have continued to be very stingy on the trade-ins and very smart around the valuation of them. Uh, we still have the private motor coach production capacity idled. And as you know, we still have uh, completed units or what we call fast tracks, uh, you know, spec vehicles that have been built and we'll continue to burn those down. But, but I would say my, my outlook or gut feeling about the pace of recovery of motor coach and ha the pace of North American kind of opening up is higher today than it was three or four months ago. That hasn't yet really translated into a lot of buys yet. And, and of course, the biggest factor there is does an operator have the cash flow to be able to make the commitment? And you know, what did they do with their own fleet? And then can they get financing for the purchase of a new vehicle or, or a pre-owned coach vehicle? The other positive, and, and I think it reflects in our first quarter results, is that uh, Brian Dusnep's parts business here, NFI Parts, actually had a pretty good quarter on the private as well as the public side, which kind of sends the signal that these guys are getting ready to start moving in a little bit more frequency at this point in time. Again, I think another quarter from now will be a little bit smarter on the pace of vaccination, the pace of opening up uh, of the U.S. and maybe Canada to some extent, and be able to give a little bit more color. But I'm, I'm more encouraged today than I was Three, three months ago, for example. Okay, great. Um, just one quick question for you, just um, back to Steve's comment about looking at strategic uh, options around electric bus. Is that more focused around um, things like supply chain, or is that something where, uh, I know you've got the uh, relationship with BYD internationally, but you're a competitor inside North America, but they've got some other, um, call it structural challenges with some of the regulations in the U.S. Is that kind of something that we should be thinking about, or I mean, any caller just on that comment would be helpful. Well, if you, it's a really good question, and of course, that's the the essence or the importance of our business right now is that that transitioning, and and not to 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 beat a dead horse, but we continue to see it as a evolution. It's not going to be a light switch. Therein lies 
both the, the, well, the strength of our business. If, if zero emission goes faster, we build them on the same production lines, we can go faster. If zero emission takes longer to transition, we build the conventional vehicles. And so we have profit opportunity and performance opportunity regardless of the pace of change of that market. We're really pleased with the product portfolio. And, and if you've seen our announcements, I'm sure you've looked at them, Chris, over the last, let's call it six months, right? We brought out the next uh, generation of the Excelsior Transit bus. We just yesterday launched the, you know, officially launched the, a, a fully electric motor coach. Uh, the guys in the UK have a really, uh, you know, progressive partnership with BYD and electric vehicles, but they also announced the creation of their hydrogen uh, double-decker. We, we launched the electric charge in that space. So we're going to continue to electrify our portfolio, pleased at the progress, really pleased at the performance that we're seeing on reports from, you know, pick one, Seattle or King County or Toronto at how we did relative to competitors. What Steve was referring to is that we, we just can't keep our heads in the ground. And so what we do in terms of supply chain, where we participate on, you know, we manufacture our own batteries with, with modules that come from another provider, that the, the ability to be a smart buyer of both cells and, and battery packs uh, and battery management system, those things, to be able to be really agile as that changes is really critical to us. And then, you know, the other thing is, is we're getting pretty good, if you will, at managing uh, that element of our business. And so we're not going to keep uh, just stayed or, or focused on, on where we are. We're going to continue to look for diversification and growth as we grow our business. Make no mistake, 2021 is better than 2020, but we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And there's lots, you know, of water that's got to go under the bridge before we're in a normal marketplace. Okay. Thanks, folks. I'll pass the line. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Our next question comes from Nelman Sati from Laration Bank. Uh, hi, good morning. Uh, so my first question is towards the active bids. I know that, that it's up in the U.S. market, but if you could just provide some color on the U.K. market. I know you don't have an active bid universe there, but are your sales team taking more meetings than what they used to take, or what's the environment like in that market? It's a it's a really good insight, Norman, because as you know, the, the UK market took a kind of a hit, similar to the motor coach, where private operators, pandemic hits, they're operating, cash flows are dramatically down, and you know buying and order activity or, or fleet planning kind of was idled. The a couple of things to point to, you know, first. Pre-pandemic, the UK's you know national bus strategy and, and plan for zero emission was was kind of defined. Post-pandemic, now we're in the middle of it. Uh, you know, the, the British government has actually started moving forward with actually deployment of their uh, national bus strategy. The Scottish government has moved very quickly with this Sulebs money, which is you know tangible dollars right now. And so our our sales teams in the UK have actually been fairly. Um, a positive but fairly busy at going out and trying to work with these customers because they kind of idled their purchase activity for almost a year to a year and a half, you know, as we managed our way through the pandemic. So while we don't have the same kind of bid universe because they're they're commercially negotiated, they're not all publicly registered RFPs. We are really encouraged by the, by the UK and the pace at which uh, that market w will recover. The fact that there's government money behind it is 
is, is truly helpful to allow those private operators to start moving out. And the health of all those operators, as you look in, in their public filings, whether it's First Group or Stagecoach or Arriva or Go Ahead, are, are starting to see you know, positive recovery not only in ridership but in their performance financially. So, so short answer is really encouraged by the progress we're seeing. Okay, no, that's that's great to know. And just uh, on the supply side uh, challenges that you have, I'm just wondering that in terms of timings and delays, that's one thing. But are you seeing any cost pressures as well? Because we've seen in some commodities like steel prices have gone up. Are they impacting you on the cost side in any way, or or that's still the same? Um, it's a really, really good question. So, you know, first, just on on timing and delivery, of course. Every business uh, that works internationally or that buys either outside of their own country or, or wherever has logistic challenges, has the whole computer chip challenge and the implications that has. Uh, you know, supplier X that builds Y for us has shut down for a week because of COVID in their plants and on and on. So we've got all that kind of stuff. So far, that has not materially impacted our business. Sure, we've adjusted production schedules. We've pulled units forward. We've pushed units back. We've level loaded our factories as best we can, and that will continue. Uh, it hasn't materially affected our business, but we're you know eyes wide, wide open at trying to manage that. Of course, our quantities are nowhere near what you would see in a truck factory or a, a vehicle a car factory. From a cost perspective, remember how the vast majority of our stuff is costed. We are bidding based on costed bill of materials. And so the, the margin on the work uh, that we are building, bidding today was based on us developing a, a costed bill of materials at some point previously at a certain cost point and so forth. Going forward, as we see increases in either commodities, uh, parts that have chips in them, whatever, we are then increasing the cost and then therefore increasing the sale price on bids going forward. So not to say it won't have an impact on us, but it, it won't be a material impact uh, at this point in time that we don't envision. Okay, no, that's fair. That's good color. And just maybe uh, a last one from my end. So you have uh, reaffirmed your guidance. I'm just wondering that there's a component of government grants. How how are you thinking about that? Let's say if if you if the grants fall off, is the idea that going forward the revenue will be enough to absorb all those costs, or you think that if the grants are not there, you can take out those costs? Well, effectively, the first part or the first statement you made is the way we're focusing. You know, we, people could criticize us and say, hey, the only reason you exceeded, you know, your quarter or quarter expectations was because of government furlough schemes or government wage subsidy. Well, that's absolutely true. However, had we not had those, we would have been far deeper at cutting into the, the cost of our business. And so the good news, I guess, is the Canadian SUS program or the UK furlough program are doing exactly what they're intended to do, which is keep the infrastructure, keep the team in place. So that's, that's the good news out of this. We have not uh, forecasted significant uh, government uh, subsidy going forward into our, our guidance for the full year. So, you know, if our volume drops, uh, you know, because we can't fill a slot or because we have to adjust because of supply chain, whatever, uh, you have to believe that the government wage subsidy programs will, will help bridge that gap to some extent. If our volume stays as we currently got, have it forecasted and we don't get that subsidy, we still think we'll live in that, that area of guidance of 220 to 240.
Amani, you still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great color. I'll get back into the line. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Our next question comes from Maggie McDougall from Stiffle. Good morning. Hi, Maggie. Um, thanks for taking my question. So I'm wondering, looking at uh, this slide in your deck, at all the various government incentives put in place, uh, and it seems like there's new ones being announced every day in support of zero emission transportation development and growth. Um, if you're starting to see any of those influence your, your backlog, so it was noted that 18% of your total backlog is now zero emission products, and that's up from 6% at the end of last year. Um, wondering if this is uh, just kind of, you know, natural movement, or if, if some of these initiatives have actually started to push that, push that up. Sure. So I'll start, Maggie, and then uh, get Paul to jump in. So I think the one that we've seen so far initially has been the SULIB, the Scottish uh, Ultra-Low Emission Bus Scheme. So ADL was able to uh, be named on 172 units um, in the UK and Scotland uh, from that program. And then on the others, it's, uh, you know, we're still, I think everybody's still looking at what these government programs mean and what the funds are going to mean. I think overall, you know, outside of the, the recent government announcements, we are starting to see agencies make that migration from, you know, before they were doing pilot programs or smaller, you know, initial uh, electric bus testing programs. And now, so that was, you know, kind of 5, 10, 15, 20 units. Now they are starting to move towards kind of more of the 50 to 100 unit type orders. Um, but that migration is going to continue to take time as bigger cities kind of do those um, initial orders for larger EVs and then secondary cities will take more time over multiple years. And I think that's what a lot of this government grant money and government support money, it's a long-term vision um, to drive adoption and to drive zero emission procurements. So we haven't seen, you know, a lot of drive yet in 2021. But I think we expect, you know, we'll see increased order activity in the second half of the year and then, you know, through 2022, through 2023 and beyond. Hey, Maggie, Paul, just a, a little bit of uh, color to add to Stephen. The reason the Scottish program has grabbed immediate traction is because they're private operators that we're negotiating with. So their ability to take the announcement and convert that to an order is a matter of days, weeks, or months, as opposed to North America where a government announcement then has to trickle into a process of what the actual program looks like and then the, the transit agency has to adapt or modify or embed that in their actual fleet replacement plan, then they got to put an RFP on the street. So all this stuff to us is encouraging about the next chapter, meaning really more 2022 and beyond than it is really going to affect 2021 where they're not private operators. Okay, thank you guys. Sorry for the background noise here. It's a little busy in the morning. <laughs> uh, have a good day. Thanks very much, Meg. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jonathan Lammers from BMO Capital Markets. Good morning. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, Paul, hi. On the Excelsior Charge NG, uh, you mentioned that New Flyer is assembling its own battery packs. Um, is New Flyer also assembling the modules, and, and what other parts of the powertrain is New Flyer doing in-house now? No, that, that's, a good, that's a good point. So um, if you walked, uh, I know you've been there, but if you went to our, for example, our Anniston, Alabama facility, you would see a dedicated cell 
set up in the plant where we buy a module. Today that module comes from Exalt Energy and the battery management system associated with it comes from Exalt. We then are taking those individual packs, if you will, and embedding them into a, you know, we, we nickname it juice box, but effectively a battery container with a certain kilowatts of power. And there are X number of battery containers on the individual buses. So we are doing effectively the assembly or manufacturing of the ultimate pack that goes on the bus and buying the component modules. As I think we've talked in previous calls uh, and investor discussions, we continue to look at the strategy associated with uh, cell uh, sourcing and, and ultimately where that comes. We today use uh, pouch cells in both our new flyers, our Equus, uh, sorry, our Equus charges and our MCIs. And we are clearly evaluating, back to my point in kind of our initial discussions, our desire at this point, just because of the pace of change, the cost reduction, the global manufacturing dynamics, we're, we're not going to be in the cell manufacturing game. In some cases, we may want to be into the cell packaging game, but today we are not. And, and we want to be the smartest agile buyers. Now, with respect to the other stuff, our largest partner, for example, on the New Flyer program uh, from a propulsion standpoint is Siemens. So we will buy the powertrain and the electric motors and other things from Siemens to be part of that. So our job is effectively to be the system integrator of all that stuff. D does that help? Thanks, Paul. Uh, and for the zero emission transit bus work, are you finding that the customers are more amenable to a standardized bus model, or do they continue <laughs> to require highly customized specs like certain seat layouts and uh, yeah. component systems? It, it, and I know you and I have actually had this conversation a number of times. We have not seen any, any progress towards a standard seat layout, a standard window tint or thickness, a standard camera layout, a standard, you know, whatever. And so therein lies, you know, that continued uh, challenge of production and engineering and sourcing efficiency. The good news is that's what we're built on. That's, that's where we've been really successful is that high degree of rapid uh, deployment of technology based on that customer specifications into our vehicles and then getting it into service and then of course you know supporting them through that and of course every customer is different. I can honestly say that we haven't yet seen any progress towards do you like my bus and how many do you want whether it's in the UK uh, even in Asia or North America in any way shape or form we still see a massive degree of customization. And of course, in today's environment where the orders are, have been smaller, the non-recurrent engineering for a five-bus order is the same amount of time as the non-recurrent engineering for a 50-bus order. Therein lies some of the, you know, the challenges around flexing the cost base. The other dynamic is that we have a cost base that today supports conventional buses, but also a cost base that's supporting zero emission, which is why this NFI initiative was so important to, to really take a bite out of our overhead NSGNA, and that's been very successful. Thanks. Yeah, I would think the customization is a real competitive advantage and barrier to entry for New Flyer. Um, and uh, just a quick question on the slide at the end with the market share gains for Coach and ADL. Those were very impressive in 2020. Uh, have any of the competitors left those markets? I, like I'm just thinking about your 2025 guidance and um, what you might be assuming for, uh, for the shares there. It, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, we haven't seen 
anybody leave, we've seen everybody stumble, uh, you know, us included, if you will. Um, the, uh, the market share on uh, a new flyer uh, continues, I think, really to be underpinned by the fact that we can sell any kind of propulsion today and not all of our competitors can do that. Some of them can only provide a battery bus. Some of them cannot provide, whether it's an articulated or a double deck. Um, in the motor coach space, I think we have softened the blow on our business way, you know, selfishly or, or maybe uh, uh, interested looking, but better than any of our competitors. And, and we, the fact that we now have Newflyer and MCI together as one operating entity and they're able to take cost out, our, our ability to kind of manage our way through that to continue to provide the field service support and all that parts has been really, really good. Uh, the UK market, we haven't seen anybody leave. You know, we saw one com company up there that's, uh, that's owned by Ashik Leyland, you know, maybe, let's call it maybe stumble a little bit on, on some of their issues. We saw one of the other competitors, Wrightbus, go through a, a Chapter 11 or a, an administration process and is, is recovering, really, you know, betting the, their business to some extent on a, on a hydrogen future. Where, where we continue to believe we've got to be propulsion agnostic. So long way of saying nobody's left. I think some of them are hurting you know, way more than we are. Uh, again, pleased the fact that we're a diversified business that we kind of handle the, the blows and the punches to, the, to some extent better than anybody else has. Yeah, like I guess, Paul, the only one I know, Van Hool, a few years ago had talked about putting a U.S. plant. Yeah. And they've stopped that, but you know that they haven't left the market. They're no. still importing vehicles from Macedonia, which in itself causes some some you know challenges. But nobody's left. Thanks for your comments. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Our next question comes from Cameron Dorkson from National Bank. Uh, thanks. Good morning. Hi, Cam. So a question for Papasu, just on the, uh, I guess, uh, working capital in, in Q1, uh, I guess the, the cash flow investment in working capital was, was really high, I guess, mainly due to the, the payables change. Just wondering if there was something unusual there and if you could maybe update us on your expectations for working capital investment for the full year. I think previously it was kind of expected there'd be a, you know, a modest, uh, I guess, investment in working capital, but just wondering if anything's changed. No, I think to your point, uh, Cameron, just, uh, just a couple of points is, you know, as you know how our year ended last year, you know, uh, we, it, was a, it was a little bit of a timing thing there with our payables, so we did pay, pay those and take care of those uh, early this year was one. Number two is I think from a, from a full year perspective, we are still expecting to have, you know, some of the, uh, from a full year perspective, we, we do expect to have some cash uh, tied up with working capital like we've kind of stated in the past, especially with, the in, uh, especially with our EV moves. Yeah, and I think uh, Cameron, too, just add in Q1, I know we were carrying some of that inventory that we had um, on some of the private coaches and retail coaches in the UK that were from order deferrals and stuff from 2020. Uh, so some of that was at the heightened in, 20, in Q1 2021. Okay, okay, that's, uh, that's, that's good. Uh, second question, just, uh, just on uh, you know, the, the double-deck order that you have in, in Berlin, you highlighted that one in your prepared remarks. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe the, the, I guess you were originally thinking about ultimately uh, assembling that bus uh, with a, a site in continental Europe. I, I guess the plan, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, is to, is to build all those buses on that contract uh, in the UK. Uh, but I'm just wondering if ultimately you, you may need to have some sort of assembly capability on continental Europe if you're going to pursue additional contracts there. Yeah, great question, Cam. And, and 
here's the way we looked at it. As we were able to successfully acquire ADL in, in May of 2019, uh, looking at the demand we expected in 2020 for the UK, we thought that our capacity might be a little bit challenged. And so that's why we started looking at a, a continental build. The second issue was the uncertainty around Brexit and what it would mean for import or export duties or challenges in terms of moving parts and so on and so forth. Of course, with Brexit behind us and with now a little bit more color at the pace of the UK recovery, what you stated is exactly true. We, we really think we can continue to build these things cost effectively in the UK and deliver uh, to Berlin. Longer term, as the UK market gets back to some maybe fuller sense of normal, there is a scenario that could mean uh, a continental build. At this point in time, all we're doing is really assess, continue to assess our options. We've looked at a number of sites, we've talked to a number of partners, and if we needed to pull that trigger, you know, we've got some cards to play. At this point, we are really focused on the efficiency and profitability of the UK facilities, building both for the UK market as well as continental Europe market. And that Berlin contract is a big, big deal. Uh, you, you know, the incumbent was a, a German company, and so for us to walk in, uh, deliver, or the ADL team deliver a couple of pilot buses that performed uh, as promised or better, and that now to be able to confirm that. And there are still a couple of hundred options on that contract, so really encouraging for for the team. Okay, so you don't, you would not expect, like, say, for future orders in in Berlin or other German cities, say that the contract requirements would require local assembly? It doesn't seem as though that was the case. We have not seen uh, that. Now, of course, the protection dynamics around the world on the recovery uh, has changed a lot of different places, and, and ours included a lot of industries. At this point in time, we don't have a, a build in Germany or a build in continental Europe uh, requirement, and, and quite honestly, haven't, haven't seen talk of that at this point at all. Okay, no, that's great. Appreciate the time. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Our next question comes from Daryl Young from TD Securities. Thanks. Good morning, guys. Um, first off, just with respect to uh, following up on the, on the Europe discussion, we've seen some, some big headline numbers around hydrogen investment um, in Europe. And just wondering if, if you've seen any shift, and I think you actually mentioned one of your competitors is, is sort of banking on, on the hydrogen shift. But you could just maybe talk about the dynamics there versus, versus uh, full battery electric and, and what you're seeing yeah. on the ground. Yeah, so uh, let, let's focus a little bit to start on the UK market. There are some hydrogen buses being sold in the UK today. The most of the EVs or zero emission buses are batteries. And of course, our strategy today continues to be to work with BYD. And as you know, we announced previously that later this year, we will complete the process by which we're actually going to assemble the chassis on behalf of BYD, put them on our bus bodies and, and deliver them. In the evolution of the propulsion system strategy at Alexander Dennis, Paul Davis and the team uh, are uh, building on uh, New Flyer's success of, of embedding uh, uh, hydrogen fuel cells into a double-deck vehicle. Uh, and and uh, I, I believe by the end of the fourth quarter of this year, we'll be in, in trials on, on that vehicle. Um, it is, it is, it is a, an interesting opportunity. This strategy of being propulsion agnostic continues to play well for us. And we continue to believe there is no one-size-fits-all. In continental Europe, where today we are really a niche player, right? We're, we've sold double decks into Switzerland, now into Germany. Uh, the ability to provide a diesel going forward to build a clean diesel or a, uh, a battery electric vehicle or now a hydrogen fuel cell 
I think is going to be important. We're not going to be selling buses in every city in Europe. We are very much where there's high volume, high density, and where double decks uh, makes a, a whole bunch of sense in there. At this point in time, we really don't have a single deck strategy uh, for Europe. The ability to provide hydrogen will play well. And of course, all you've got to do is get in, involved in the debates about whether hydrogen makes sense in the future, whether it's blue or green hydrogen, where they get it from, do they make it themselves, and so forth. Uh, you know, that has to play out in every municipality and, and the politics of every country and region. But the ability to provide that, I think, is important for us, and, and we're going to do it. Great, thanks. And then uh, just one more. Um, with respect to some of the new um, players that have entered the market through through SPACs or, or other means, um, can you just remind us how long the process is to get a Buy America compliant bus and um, and, and whether you've seen any any new entrants um, looking to, to start that process? So just, you know, to, to go back to step one and not to be too simplistic about it, there is no certificate from the government that says you're Buy America. You know, we've heard some people talk about, I am Buy America compliant. Well, quite honestly, every contract, every build has to be Buy America compliant and meet two major criteria. One is the, uh, the content, the material content has to be a minimum now of 70%. And the second thing, there's a whole bunch, whole bunch of tasks that physically must happen in the United States for it to be Buy America compliant. Simple example, we can't put a, a door on a bus that's built in Canada because that has to be physically done in the United States. There's a whole list of tasks. So that, that's the ground rules of which we play. That's how we've evolved our business. That's how we've evolved our supply chain over the years. That's how we've moved some of the fabrication capability to our facilities or to suppliers in the United States. From a, a startup story, if you will, or a new story, uh, you, you know, not to pick on them, but our, our friends at Proterra, for example, that business has been around for, I think, 14 or 16 years. They have 600 vehicles on the road in, in that period of time. And of course, the, you know, their supply chain, their manufacturing, just like everybody else, has to evolve over that time. The bigger issue then is to be able to access the federal funds is all of those vehicles actually have to go through the Altoona uh, track testing, which is the, the, the sanctioned track by the FTA. And getting through a t Altoona can be up to a year long before that happens. And it's not like you test one bus and they're all passed. Every different variant has to be tested to the Altoona standards. So the ability to scale from a new startup or so forth is not as simple as it, it may seem on, on paper. Um, you know, in terms of startups or new guys that have come through SPACs, the only, you know, we saw Proterra go through a, or in the process of a de-SPACing process, but, but they're already in the place, in the space today. You know, Lion Bus, for example, another uh, Canadian company that's in the process of de-SPACing, they don't make the kind of vehicles that we make, so that's not really a competitive dynamic. The only one, the other one that has come through the SPAC process that really maybe is targeting some of our opportunity is a, a company called Arrival, which is a, a UK company that went through a de-SPACing process. I think they're complete now. Uh, and are talking about delivering a single-deck um, low-floor transit bus. Uh, there is no announced plans for them of testing that in North America. I know they're going to be testing their single-deck uh, vehicle, I think, with a customer in the fourth quarter of this year. So, again, sorry to ramble, but does that give you a little bit of color of kind of the, it's not like a guy shows up and says, do you like my bus? How many do you want tomorrow? Yeah, no, that, that's the great color and... and uh uh, fits with what I what I was expecting. So a, long, a longer, uh, much longer time horizon to, to to come to market. Thanks. 
Thank you. And at this moment, we show no further questions. I would like to turn the call back to Mr. King for uh, final remarks. Sorry, we do have one webcast question. Uh, I'm just going to read that aloud and, uh, and then we'll uh, wrap it up. So our webcast question, how can NFI move quicker to take advantage of the EV momentum in terms of manufacturing ramp-up and profitability? It, you know, it's a good question. If you dive deep into our materials and our business, we are already delivering uh, zero emission vehicles on, on all of our production uh, facilities and all of our models. So it's not like we have to create a new product. The second issue then is if EV adoption goes faster, we then will, we don't have to convert our production lines anymore. We've already made the investment to build a diesel, a hybrid, a natural gas, an electric trolley, a fuel cell or electric, all on the same uh, production line. And so we're talking about mixed change on the product line as opposed to having to change the product lines. Uh, we've already invested in all the charging or hydrogen infrastructure in our facilities to be able to fuel buses or charge buses and so forth. We've already trained all of our uh, sales force and field service teams uh, to be able to support those products in the field. So kind of the way we've positioned our business is, if it goes faster, we're ready. If it goes slower, we're, we're, that's the business we're in today. Uh, we will continue to push and evolve the, the product introductions as the market changes, as battery technology evolves, electric motors and systems and so forth evolve. But it's not like we have to turn our business to capture the market share going forward. We're already playing that game, in fact, leading it in market share today. So thanks for that question. I think it came from a gentleman named Phil Simpson. Thank you. All right, back over to you, Steve. Okay, thanks, Paul. So thanks, Paul and Papasu and everyone for joining us today. Uh, before we wrap, just wanted to remind everyone that we'll be holding our AGM, our annual general meeting, virtually uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern. Details on how to join are posted on our website. And I'll also note that our uh, 2020 Environment, Social, and Governance Report, or ESG, uh, will be released later this month. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We will now terminate the call. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.